Today was the first hearing in the House Republican impeachment inquiry into President Biden. And when I tell you there was not a lot of there there, that this inquiry is so far based on paranoid vibes and conspiracy hunches, well, don't just take my word for it. Here are the three witnesses that House Republicans called today to make their case. Let me say that again. These are the witnesses that House Republicans called. I am not here today to even suggest that there was corruption, fraud, or any wrongdoing. In fact, I do not believe that the current evidence would support articles of impeachment. You mentioned in your oral testimony that you had written uh, a commentary entitled, You'd Go to Prison for What Biden Did. Um, that was, you'd go to prison for what Hunter Biden did, isn't that? That's the, exactly right. I was, okay. I was cutting down words to stay oh, within my five but minutes. You realize, you realize, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's an important word, though, that you left out, though, it right? Is, sure is an important word. Now, far-right Republican members of Congress spend a lot, maybe all, of their time on political stunts. But this hearing today was on a completely different level. In the words of Congressman Jamie Raskin, if Republicans had a smoking gun or even a dripping water pistol, they would be presenting it today. But they didn't. Which seems to buttress the criticism that this entire inquiry is a fishing expedition, that Republicans are desperate to find controversy where none so far exists. And that alone would be a breach of the public trust. It would be a violation of why they are in office to begin with. But this Saturday night, at one minute past midnight, our federal government is set to shut down. And not only are House Republicans spending today putting on this impeachment circus rather than trying to pass a budget to prevent that shutdown, but NBC News confirmed today that the House Oversight Committee, the one in charge of this impeachment inquiry, that committee has deemed the staff of the chairman, James Comer, that staff is comprised of essential workers. The House Judiciary Committee, which is, by the way, also investigating President Biden, has done the same for the staff of its chairman, Jim Jordan. That means that even if the entire federal government shuts down, the hunt for impeachment outrage goes on. Because in the mind of House Republicans, this is the essential work. The amazing and wonky news site government executive combed through the most recent government shutdown contingency plans for all of the federal agencies to see how many federal workers would not be deemed essential if the government shut down. It found that 93% of EPA and NASA workers would be furloughed. 90% of the staff of the Securities and Exchange Commission. 90% of the staff of the Department of Education. 54% of the civilian staff at the Department of Defense, the Department of Justice, Homeland Security, the Department of Transportation, the list goes on and on. All of those agencies would have to tell sizable, if not downright huge chunks of their staff to go home while Republican chairmen work tirelessly to get to the bottom of a President Biden scandal that so far does not exist. Now, I have been talking about the potential government shutdown in terms of labor a lot on this show, and that is because, first and foremost, those millions of government workers will be the people most impacted by a shutdown. But don't forget that a government shutdown would impact all of us. I mean, do you remember the airports during the last shutdown? 
After lines like these last week, the TSA is now calling for backup. Around the country, 10% of its employees called off work on Sunday, compared to just 3% on the same day last year. Air traffic controller Tyler Kennard and his wife Becky are facing mounting bills, including regular hospital care for three-year-old Tucker's immune deficiency disorder. We're real families that need a real paycheck that my husband's working really hard for. 10,500 air traffic controllers watch the nation's skies, but after a month without paychecks, some are joining other government workers at local food banks. At a food bank in Oklahoma City, furloughed air traffic control instructor Iletta Young came for food and to volunteer. I wasn't behind on my bills until the shutdown. Why should I have to take out a loan for something that was not even my fault? Government shuts down this weekend. More than 13,000 air traffic controllers and more than 50,000 TSA officers would be forced to work without pay. They are the real essential workers, and they do not deserve this. Let me bring in Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg in this conversation. Secretary Buttigieg, thank you for joining me on a busy night and a busy week. Um, I know there are a lot of preparations probably underway. Can you could you give us a sense of what the implications of a government shutdown are on a practical level, for example, to air travelers? Well, it's just a matter of time before chaos in Congress would lead to chaos at the airports. Each passing day that a shutdown continued, it would become harder and harder to maintain the systems and the processes that keep our transportation systems running. As your story noted, and as America experienced in the last shutdown, one thing that would happen immediately is that air traffic controllers stop being paid. I want people to think about the level of intensity that is associated with a job where you go into a tower or a facility and make sure that 16 million aircraft a year at the end of the day uh, get to where they're going safely. There's a huge amount of tension in that job. And to come to that job with the added stress of coming from a household where your family doesn't know where your next paycheck is going to come from is unthinkable uh, in terms of, uh, well, I guess it's not unthinkable anymore because this Congress uh, and, and extreme Republicans in the House conference seem to be willing to uh, let it happen yet again, to force it to happen, really. Uh, but it's certainly unacceptable. Another thing that would happen immediately is that we would have to halt bringing on new air traffic controllers. Now, if you've been following any of what's been going on in air travel in the last couple of years, you know that we have a shortfall that has built up over many years that we finally turned around and are getting uh, in the right direction. In other words, we're hiring at a pace that it's beginning to get better and not worse. But that would also stop. People at the Air Traffic Control Academy in Oklahoma would be sent home. And even a shutdown lasting a few days, we'd be feeling the effects into next year in terms of the disruptions to our pipeline. Those are just a couple examples from aviation alone. But across transportation and across this country, uh, a shutdown like this is something that we can't afford. There's there's no good time for a shutdown, but right now, when we've finally seen air travel uh, delays go and cancellations get back to normal territory, cancellations this year actually below what they were uh, pre-pandemic, and we're fighting to get them even lower than that, uh, this is the exact wrong time to reverse that progress with a politically motivated Republican shutdown. 
Yeah, I, I think uh, it seems like, uh, you know, Republicans, at least, may be framing this mentally as just kind of bureaucratic inconvenience. But hearing you talk about it, this is the safety of people traveling throughout the United States, whether it's the FAA, which is facing, I think, a double government shutdown because the uh, there's a deadline to renew the law that basically establishes the agency. The TSA, which was very vulnerable, those workers were very vulnerable in the last shutdown not having enough TSA agents to make sure that flights are safe. I mean, there are real practical safety implications for the decision to shut down the government. And yet, I would love to get your thoughts on the decision of Oversight Chair James Comer to deem his staff to be essential workers, to keep up the impeachment roadshow while House Republicans dither and refuse to make a deal that could prevent a government shutdown. What does that tell you about the priorities of the Republican Party at present? It's insane. I mean, here we are, something like 50 hours from them shutting down the funds that we use to pay air traffic controllers who make sure that 16 million flights a year take off and land safely. And they're busy with shutdown. They're busy with impeachment for they don't even know what for. They they just want to have one. This is their idea of how to spend their time. Sometimes I'm watching this stuff go on and I'm just thinking to myself, do they understand that this is not a game? This is not a show. And this is not practice. This is the actual legislative body that actually governs the real military and government of the most powerful nation on earth. Uh, like, this, is, this is not an exercise. Uh, they're, they're it. Uh, they're, they're the only Congress we've got. And you've got it dominated now by a group of fringe Republicans who are preventing Speaker McCarthy from being able to invest uh, his time in delivering the, the, the deal that he actually made. Remember, the, the, the Speaker of the House and the President of the United States already made a deal over how to handle this, this spending. It's precisely designed to head off the situation. They made that deal earlier this summer. And now the Speaker can't seem to follow through and deliver it because of these fringe Republicans. By the way, also, uh, some of the same Republicans uh, in the House uh, in those committee rooms who tried to politicize some of the problems that they're now making worse. You know, last week I was up on Capitol Hill. I was testifying uh, in the House Transportation Infrastructure Committee. Uh, several of the House Republicans there uh, tried to attack the administration over the East Palestine uh, derailment in Ohio, making no mention of the fact that they are demanding cuts to railroad safety inspections and are threatening the government shutdown in order to get their way. Uh, there were representatives who uh, tried to, to politicize staffing shortfalls in air traffic control. Uh, one in particular who I saw on, on TV this morning uh, saying that uh, that he's going to keep taking his pay- paycheck because he doesn't think of himself as wealthy, even though he's uh, he's actually a millionaire. Uh, but he, he didn't think there'd be a lot of sympathy for federal workers like the air traffic controllers who are about to get uh, are about to go without pay uh, because of their actions. And he's somebody else who voted to cut air traffic control earlier this year in the so-called Limit Save Grow Act that uh, that Speaker McCarthy moved through the House. So it, it is absolutely upside down in terms of any sense of priorities. We need them to be working on keeping Americans safe and keeping American transportation systems and the rest of our government running. And yet they're, they're devoting their time and attention when they're not busy fighting each other in this shutdown drama to to impeachment inquiries over they can't even say what. You know, you 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 noted the cuts House Republicans are demanding to rail inspection. I think it would lead to 11,000 fewer miles of rail track inspected by the Department of Transportation next year. That's what House Republicans want as part of all these negotiations. 
I do have to ask you, because the Biden administration seems to sort of draw a line between Kevin McCarthy and the MAGA wing of the caucus. And yet I sort of on its face, I understand that distinction. But Kevin McCarthy is a tool of the MAGA right wing at this point. The reason there is not a deal, the reason we the government may shut down is because Kevin McCarthy won't make a deal with Democrats, because if Kevin McCarthy makes a deal with Democrats, Kevin McCarthy isn't Speaker of the House anymore. Is the statesmanlike thing to do if you are Kevin McCarthy to basically throw yourself on your sword, understand you won't be speaker anymore and keep the government open? Well, you know, I can't tell uh, Kevin McCarthy what to do. He's not going to call me for advice. But but I know this. He's the Speaker of the House of the United States House of Representatives for the whole country. Uh, and uh, he has a responsibility and the Congress has a responsibility to take care of the whole country. Now, he's also the leader of House Republicans, which means, I guess, uh, he owns uh, everything that comes out of that conference and that caucus that seems to be at war with itself. But the rest of of our imperfect government system is pretty much ready to go here. The president's ready to go. Uh, The Senate, even on a rather bipartisan basis, has made it clear that they're ready to act. Uh, House Democrats are ready to go. It's really just down to whether House Republicans can, first of all, make peace with each other uh, and make peace with their leader, Kevin McCarthy, uh, and then get right with the rest of the country. But we're running out of time. We have hours hours left before these effects start to happen. And you mentioned this, I don't want to get too technical, but you mentioned this kind of double whammy that could be coming uh, for the FAA because uh, we're also running the FAA on a five-year authorization. We're in year five out of five, and there's only a couple days left in that authorization too. If both of those lapse because of the chaos in the House Republican conference right now, uh, that means that, uh, uh, that some of these effects won't be easily reversible. Uh, some of the funds that, uh, that will be lost that would ordinarily come into our fund that we use for uh, improving physical infrastructure at airports and and, uh, making safety improvements, uh, we don't get that back. Um, It's not even clear that uh, some workers impacted would get their back pay, uh, which thankfully would happen to many of the other workers affected by a shutdown automatically, but but, but not in this case. So this is just no way to run the most powerful country on earth. Uh, They've got to come to their senses. They've got to get to work. They've got to do one of the most fundamental jobs of the United States Congress, which is to fund the government. Yeah. And as you as you as you remind us, it's not a rehearsal. It's not an improv group. It's not a puppet show. It's the actual Congress they're in. They need to do their jobs. Also, P.S. Republicans fly too. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, sir, it's so good to have you on the program. Good luck in the hours ahead. Thanks for your time tonight. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We have more to come tonight. Up next, the first hearing and the Republican effort to impeach President Biden goes nowhere. And that is according to fellow Republicans. Plus, President Biden is ringing the alarm bell. We'll have more on this just ahead. There's something dangerous happening in America now. There's an extremist movement that does not share the basic beliefs in our democracy. It's Monday, everyone. Happy to have you here on this Monday night. Lots of news to get to tonight. Make more of your Mondays on MSNBC with Jen Psaki and Rachel Maddow back to back. If you were talking to a voter, what would you say to them about why this case matters to them? Was this the kind of proceeding you would expect in a typical New York DA's case, or does this really feel different? Inside with Jen Psaki at 8 p.m. Eastern, followed by The Rachel Maddow Show at 9, Mondays on MSNBC. Monday night. Alpha One Niner, commence Wi-Fi device checklist. Laptops, on. TVs, streaming. Game console, console 
Smart thermostat. Set for cuddle time. Doorbell camera. Oh, my package is here. Fast, reliable. Able to power tons of devices inside your home at once. All systems go. You are clear for takeoff. This is Xfinity Internet. Wi-Fi built to wow. And watch the short film, The Aviators. Now playing at Xfinity.com. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and are not guaranteed. So there's a lot we can say about the first House Republican-led hearing today, which was part of their impeachment inquiry into President Biden. But maybe just this one time, let's have Fox News do it for us. All right. Uh, for the better part of six hours, uh, I have been following these hearings, save an hour off to do my Fox Business show earlier today. Uh, I don't know what was achieved over these last six plus hours. Welcome, everybody. I'm Neil Cavuto. I want to put in perspective here, though, and we are going to legally go through all the details. But uh, James Comer, the Oversight Committee chairman, had said that there would be presented a mountain of evidence against Mr. Biden. It was referring to President Biden. But none of the expert witnesses today presented Yet any any proof for impeachment. Now, to be clear, this was not about impeachment. This is about launching an impeachment inquiry. But it is worth pointing out that none of the witnesses today were fact witnesses. That means that none were involved in the investigation into the alleged activities in the first place. What's more, none of the witnesses testified today of direct knowledge of what Republicans have been claiming about Joe Biden. In other words, that this, uh, the way this was built up, uh, where there's smoke, there would be fire. Again, I'm not a lawyer, and I'm going to be talking to some darn smart ones in a moment. But where there's smoke today, we just got a lot more smoke. Joining me now is Democratic Congressman Adam Schiff of California. He was, of course, the lead prosecutor in Donald Trump's first impeachment trial. Congressman Schiff, uh, it's great to see you. When you've lost Fox News, who do you have left? Um, th the fact is the goings on today seem like is debacle the right word? I'm not sure what what in your mind happened today and what wh what road is this going down for Republicans? I think it was a complete debacle. And, uh, you know, and if you'll pardon the expression, it was uh, an ass backwards uh, impeachment proceeding. Uh, historically, what Congress has done when it believed a president was engaged in wrongdoing that might rise to the level of a high crime or misdemeanor is do a thorough investigation. Once you've done the investigation and believe there's a sound basis, then you start an impeachment inquiry. Uh, and at the end of that, you bring in the experts to evaluate the evidence you presented and put it in constitutional context. Well, today, Republicans did it in exactly the opposite direction. They started with experts who had no evidence to evaluate. And I'm not surprised that the Fox News watching crowd was frustrated by this. But this has been the case all along. This has been an impeachment in search of a reason for being. Uh, Jamie Raskin had it exactly right. It was the Seinfeld of impeachments, impeachment uh, about nothing. Uh, and it's uh, also such a stark juxtaposition uh, of this meritless uh, impeachment inquiry taking place, wasting time while we're just a couple days away from a shutdown of the federal government, which is what they should be focused on. Uh, and if I can, Alex, I just want to uh, respond to the question you asked earlier. What should Kevin McCarthy do? Uh, you know, he gave his word to Joe Biden uh, when they reached that budget deal to avert a default on our debt. He should tell his Republican conference 
I gave the president my word. I gave it to him on behalf of our conference. And I'm going to honor my word. And I'm putting up this bipartisan bill. And I want you to vote for it. I'm going to vote for it. Uh, and if you remove me, you remove me. But I'm going to keep my word. That does not appear to be the approach of Kevin McCarthy uh, and its service members who are going to go out without uh, paychecks who are going to suffer, its federal firefighters who are going to suffer, its travelers at airports who are going to suffer, its parents with kids in Head Start uh, who are going to lose uh, child care that are going to suffer uh, because Kevin McCarthy won't keep his word and neither will the Republican conference. Can I ask you, though, on that front, I mean, if Kevin McCarthy does what is, I think most people assume is the right thing here, which is to prevent a government shutdown, it almost certainly means he loses his speakership. What is the view on someone else holding the speaker's gavel from the point of the view of the Democratic caucus? Is, is the devil you know, which is to say, pardon the expression, Kevin McCarthy, is that better than whoever Republicans come up with next for speaker? I mean, because keep in mind, you guys could also pursue a motion to vacate and get him out of the speaker's chair, but nobody's done that so far. Uh, you know, I would rather have someone of their word, uh, someone you could trust and make a deal with, uh, someone uh, whose word meant something uh, or stood for something or believed in something uh, than a speaker who has none of those qualities, because a speaker with none of those qualities, as we are seeing, can't govern. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I don't know that uh, Speaker McCarthy would lose his speakership over doing the right thing. I know he's afraid of that. Um, what he has going for them for him is they don't seem to have much of an alternative. Uh, after all, the the rebels uh, in their conference aren't really interested in governing. They're just interested in tearing down. Uh, but they don't have anyone else to step up uh, to that position. So he may stay in that position. But frankly, I would choose if I, if it were up to me, but it's not uh, having a Republican speaker that's more effective, even though they'd be more effective because they could help govern and they could ideally work with us across the aisle to govern. Uh, in the Senate, a bipartisan proposal to keep the government funded got 77 votes to advance. They've been able to do it in the Senate. We should do it in the House. What what is your expectation here about how this this what are the next 72 hours, 96 hours look like? The Republicans seem intent on continuing the impeachment inquiries. They've deemed the staff for those inquiries essential workers. Um, and a deal is so far nowhere to be seen. So what should we expect happens in the halls of Congress? Well, first of all, there's nothing less essential than the people uh, that are working on this uh, bogus impeachment inquiry. Uh, but, you know, uh, where is this going to all end up? Uh, I think it's going to end up in a, in a train wreck. In fact, I was uh, talking to one of the Republicans on the little tram uh, after votes, the first session of votes uh, today. And I asked him, how does this end? And his answer was, I can't tell you, but not well. Uh, and sadly, it's going to end not well for the country, uh, I think, because at this point, they're likely to shut down. Uh, I do think that they will come to embrace a CR. They will try to get some face-saving uh, device uh, to at least claim some kind of a win. Uh, but it's the country that's going to lose. And it's only a question at this point, probably, of how long uh, people are going to be suffering before the Republicans decide the pressure is too much. Uh, and they need to put something forward that can pass in the House and Senate. Congressman Adam Schiff, you are welcome to use the phrase ass backwards anytime to describe moments like this. <laughs> I appreciate you. And thank you for making the time tonight. Thank you. Still to come this evening, one of these things is not like the other. 
President Biden issuing a stark warning about the fate of democracy and Republican presidential candidates arguing about curtains. Plus, some of Trump's children may be called to the stand in a trial that is set to get underway next week. We'll have more on that just ahead. Hey, everyone, it's MSNBC's Chris Hayes. For the first time since 1892, we have an election in which both candidates have presidential records. It's a chance to take a hard look at what Joe Biden and Donald Trump have actually done as president. On a special Why Is This Happening podcast series called With Pod 2024 The Stakes, I'm talking to experts about the two candidates' records on specific policy areas like immigration, taxes, climate, and more. So you know what's at stake come November. Search for Why Is This Happening and follow. Hi, I'm Jonathan Capehart, and I'm excited to share some great news. Both The Saturday Show and The Sunday Show are available as a podcast. Every weekend, I look forward to bringing you the most important political news and the newsmakers who are creating policies that affect your life. For me, it's all about the conversation. That's when news is revealed and understanding begins. Search for Saturdays and Sundays with Jonathan Capehart and follow. Today, an appeals court rejected Donald Trump's request to delay his New York civil fraud trial. So now that trial will begin in just a few days on Monday. The judge in that case ruled earlier this week that Trump and his co-defendants committed fraud, but the trial is still on to determine damages and other related matters. And now we have the names of potential witnesses who could be called to the stand as part of that trial. And they are Trump's children, Don Jr., Eric and Ivanka. His former lawyer, Michael Cohen, his former CFO, Alan Weisselberg, and the man himself, Donald J. Trump. Now, while New York Attorney General Letitia James has 53 names on her list of potential witnesses, Trump's list is a lot longer at 128 names, plus any witness on the prosecution's list. So a lot of people on the defense, potentially, that they might want to talk to. Could take a really long time which seems to be maybe the point. And to that end, in the federal criminal case over Trump's attempts to subvert the 2020 election, Trump's lawyers have now asked for an additional two months to file pretrial motions. Two more months, which is, hmm. In Trump's other federal criminal case about classified documents found down at Mar-a-Lago, special counsel Jack Smith has accused Trump's lawyers of, quote, intentionally derailing the timing of that trial. Joining me now is Christy Greenberg, former deputy chief of the Southern District of New York's criminal division and MSNBC legal analyst, our secret in-house weapon, Lisa Rubin. All right, ladies, it's not even subtle, the strategy here, which seems to be delay. But Christy, for people who didn't pay attention to the docket this week, Earlier, which is to say yesterday, Trump lost the effort to have Judge Chutkin recuse herself. And like literally as soon as she announces that, I think it was hours later, Trump's lawyers ask for two additional months to file pretrial motions. It's like literally they have a deck of delay cards and they're like, if that one's not going to work, then maybe this one will work. The question is, like, can this actually work? Can, Can it actually push this off significantly? Well, so the one interesting thing in their filing before Judge Chutkin is they say, we are not asking you to move the trial date. We're just asking for 
some additional time on the pretrial motions only. Um, I think she may grant some kind of a compromise. Maybe it doesn't give him 60 days, but if she were to give even 30 days, that doesn't necessarily move the trial date, and it allows her to preserve the record on appeal that they can't say there's ineffective assistance of counsel, that they didn't have enough time. I mean, this indictment came down August 1st. Now we're talking a little over two months to file pretrial motions. That is a quick schedule on any criminal case. So to give a little bit more time, maybe not the full 60, a little bit more time, still preserve the schedule, preserve the record for appeal. I think she will try to find some compromise. Is that re- so? Is it reasonable to assume you can bake in several more weeks for pretrial motions and not move the trial date? It's March 6th, right? It is March 6th. It depends on what happens after the disposition of those motions. They are saying now, we are not asking you, Judge, to move the trial date because their wholesale effort to get her to move that trial date yes. was thoroughly <laughs> unsuccessful. But do I think that this incremental goalpost moving is definitely toward that end? Absolutely, because the pretrial motions that they intend to file, they've essentially telegraphed that they're primarily on legal and constitutional issues. They're not things that have to do, for example, with what they expect to find in discovery. Right. That having been said, do I think that they'll try and push it and push it and push it? Absolutely. That seems to be the play. I mean, I will also say, Christy, what did you make of a list of potentially 128 witnesses that Trump's defense wants to call in his New York civil case? Yeah, there's no way they're putting on 128 witnesses. I mean, this is you remember Donald Trump sued this judge two weeks ago. Yes. And he just called him deranged in a post you know, a day or so ago. So it's a bench trial. This is not a jury trial. This is a trial before this judge. So I don't think he or any of his children are going to be defense witnesses at this trial. Um, I do think he'll call some witnesses. I think he'll call witnesses uh, to just continue to put forth these defenses, which at least as to this one cause of action that the summary judgment was on, are completely irrelevant. But these arguments that, okay, even if these statements were false, it's subjective. Valuations are subjective. There weren't material false statements. There was no requisite intent. And he'll call people to talk about the real estate business being shady. Mm -hmm. And these kinds of, you know, this is just business and how it's done. He'll call witnesses, I think, to just have a general, you know, defense without getting specific into the facts. Because if you actually go to the examples that uh, that 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 uh, Tish James is putting forward, they're incredibly strong and they're objective, not subjective. He's got appraisals and then he has his own values, which are hundreds of millions of dollars inflated. Like this is not wiggle room area. This is blatant fraud. does, is there a chance Donald Trump takes a stand? I mean, he's a li- he's a name on yes. both the prosecution and the defense list. I think there is, if only because, Alex, today I compared the defense witness list with the prosecution's witness list. And they are entirely overlapping, except for there are probably like three or four names on the New York attorney general's witness list that aren't on that list. Trump appears on both. That indicates to me the attorney general intends to call him. And he has at least said in his public statements, if they call me, I will testify. I will not take the fifth. Proof is in the pudding. We'll see how that goes next week after opening statements from both sides. But I think there is a possibility that the attorney general fully intends to call Donald Trump and all three of his adult children. There is some peril in being deposed as as part of a civil trial, right? Right? Because that can be then used in other suits. Absolutely. And his trial testimony, anything he says under oath will be used against him potentially. So his criminal 
defense attorneys in all of his criminal cases are going to be strongly advising him to not testify. Um, anytime he opens his mouth, it's just lie after lie after lie. And I don't think he's going to be able to credibly show that he didn't have any intent to defraud. When he says, oh, you know, here are these lists of properties that were with my statements of financial condition, but that was just a list for me. And, you know, that, that's what he said in the deposition. It, yeah. it defies logic. So I don't think him getting on the stand is going to do him any favors. He may, I, you know, he may do it, but I think his attorneys will strongly advise him not to. Well, and this is, I, does that, that reality that what you say in other areas may come back to bite you in the criminal trials, in the criminal cases, is that what undergirds Trump's decision not to seek his uh, a removal of his Georgia case to federal court. He's basically saying, I'm going to keep the Fonnie Willis indictment in Georgia. I'm not going to, not in Georgia, but in, in the state court, I'm not going to try and move it to federal court. Is that because it would be too perilous to try and get it moved to federal That's court? That's one reason. But the payoff is also not that great, comparable to what he's already achieved with Ken Chesbro and Sidney Powell barreling toward their own speedy trial on October 23rd. That's a trial that the Fulton County DA's office has said is projected to take four months, and that's excluding jury selection. He's already essentially achieved much of the delay that he already wants without having to remove it to federal court. And yes, if you remove to federal court, maybe you get a more favorable jury pool. But what Trump really wants here is to be able to move that Fulton County trial past the election. And given the delay inherent in what's going on in Fulton County, plus his two other criminal trial dates, that's highly likely, particularly if that trial is expected to last several months. And we still don't know when Donald Trump's when he will have a hearing in that trial. Right. We, it's still unknown what bucket of defendants he will be in. Right. If he is with any other defendants in Georgia. That's correct. It's all legal filings all the time here in the ninth hour of television at MSNBC. Christy Greenberg, Lisa Rubin, thank you guys for helping me decipher what is going on. Thank you. Still ahead this evening, while Republicans fight each other in Washington and on the debate stage, President Biden sounds the alarm about Republicans. That's next. Today, let's be clear. While we've made progress, democracy is still at risk. This is not hyperbole. It's a simple truth. President Joe Biden was in Arizona today to honor the late Senator John McCain and to issue this warning. And there's something dangerous happening in America now. There's an extremist movement that does not share the basic beliefs in our democracy. The MAGA movement. But there's no question that today's Republican Party is driven and intimidated by MAGA Republican extremists. Their extreme agenda, if carried out, would fundamentally alter the institutions of American democracy as we know it. My friends, they're not hiding their attacks. They're openly promoting them. Seizing power, concentrating power, attempting to abuse power, purging and packing key institutions, spewing conspiracy theories, spreading lies for profit and power to divide America in every way inciting violence against those who risk their lives to keep America safe, weaponizing against the very soul of who we are as Americans. Frankly, these extremists have no idea what the hell they're talking about. I'm serious. 
For the fourth time since he took office, President Biden explained the existential threat that Trump's MAGA movement poses to American democracy. And that somber message stood in stark contrast to the behavior of Republicans in Congress who are less than 72 hours away from shutting down the federal government. And it stood in stark contrast to the utter unseriousness on the debate stage just 20 hours earlier in Simi Valley, California, where Republican presidential candidates were focused on transgender surgery, government drapes and nicknames for Donald Trump. We're going to stand up for the rights of parents and we're going to pass a federal ban on transgender chemical or surgical surgery anywhere in the country. You're ducking these things. And let me tell you what's going to happen. You keep doing that. No one up here is going to call you Donald Trump anymore. We're going to call you Donald Duck. As the U.N. ambassador, you literally Bring it, put $50,000 on <laughs> curtains and a $15 million subsidized location. Next. You got bad information. I will use the Justice Department to bring civil rights cases against all of those left-wing Soros-funded prosecutors. It is an extremely odd moment in American history, with one party ringing the alarm bells for democracy and the other apparently content to abide the extremism and instead bicker about curtains. But here we are. We have to stand up for American values embedded in the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, because we know that MAGA extremists have already proven they won't. We'll talk about the significance of this moment with presidential historian Michael Beschloss coming up next. If you have been keeping count, the first one was on the anniversary of January 6th in Gettysburg, 2022. The second, just over a year ago at Independence Hall in Philadelphia. The third, right before last year's midterm elections at Union Station in Washington, D.C. And today, in Arizona, President Biden did it again. He implored Americans to save democracy for the fourth time at an announcement of a library honoring the late Republican Senator John McCain. Four addresses in two years on the importance of American democracy and its greatest threat extremists in the Republican Party. When has a president ever had to address the health of our democracy this much in such a short period of time? Joining me now is someone who may know a thing or two about that, Michael Beschloss, NBC News presidential historian. Michael, it's so good to have you here tonight and to give context to to this bizarre and unsettling moment we find ourselves in. But is there a historical analog for a president warning the republic of its imminent demise so often in his first term in office. Yeah, let's remember how singular this really is. You know, go all the way back through American history. We have never had what we have right now, which is the prospect of an election next year between two major parties, two major presidential nominees, one who loves democracy and wants to preserve it, and that's the guy you heard today, and another who said he wants to tear it apart, he wants to destroy institutions like the Pentagon and the Justice Department and free and fair elections and bring about a presidential dictatorship of retribution and violence. And, you know, the way this falls in history, Alex, I think another way of looking at it is, you know, there's sometimes when a president frames a moment in history that lets us really see a period very clearly. Mm. What Joe Biden did today is he's framed 
this almost apocalyptic political struggle we're going to see in the next 13 months. And that's sort of like 1860. Abraham Lincoln said, you know, we can't live in a country half slave and half free. 80 years later, 1940, Franklin Roosevelt, while running for re-election, said, we Americans may have to save the world from Hitler. And here we are a little over 80 more years later, to, uh, 2023, this first time in history, Joe Biden is saying, you know, either come with me and protect democracy or elect my opponent who wants to tear it all down and God knows what's going to happen next. Yeah, well, I mean, those are um, those will shock you into uh, <laughs> being alarmed if you aren't already. The idea that these are, you know, the analogs or speeches given in the era of the Civil War and World War II. What does that say sure. about what next year may bring? I also wonder, you know, to that end, Michael, is there a precedent for the two parties being so, I won't say even diametrically opposed, but living, existing in parallel universes, right? You watch that Republican presidential debate and the things they're arguing about and the warnings that are being issued from the president of this country, the titular head of the Democratic Party. I mean, it's 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 not even apples to oranges. It's like apples to lamb chops. There's there's no commonality. And I wonder if that's ever happened before, as you see it in American politics. We have never, ever seen anything like this before. When, Alex, have we seen a candidate for president, Donald Trump in this case, who is an, also an ex-president, talking about the possible execution of his chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, or talking about you know uh, being in, in a world where people will be locked up, or talking about destroying the civil service uh, so that he can do whatever he wants, or if Congress votes for something, Trump has said you know he will not necessarily use the money that Congress has voted. That's dictatorship. That's not the democracy that our Constitution suggested. We've never had anything like this. You know, I was thinking, Alex, 1972, Richard Nixon ran against George McGovern. That was considered to be, you know, sort of a big choice. Nixon called it the clearest choice in a century. Compared to what we're facing right now, those were two peas in a pod. Yeah, and my dad worked on that campaign. So. I know that. that that's and he why had I'm some friends, and he and he knew Nixon. People. I mean, they do look like peas in a pod compared to what we're talking about today, Indeed. Michael. When, when we talk about what a speech can do in terms of stirring the body politic into action, you know, I think the White House very much hopes that people will listen to President Biden, President Biden's speech, and do something about what he's saying. That seems far-fetched, given where we are. But historically, have speeches been able to move people into action and parties specifically? Sure they have. Uh, did Lincoln's speech have speeches have an effect on what followed in the early 1860s? Sure they did. Franklin Roosevelt was very courageous running for re-election in a country that didn't want another war like World War I, but he said, let's build up our defense because we may have to defend the world of freedom. That was unpopular. Had he not done that, we would have been unprepared. That's what a president does at a moment in history like this. He doesn't say the issue is, you know, some peripheral issue of the kind that you just showed us that was in the Republican debate last night, like curtains in the residence of the U.N. ambassador. You know, look at that and compare that to what Joe Biden was saying uh, today. This is what it's at stake. We could lose our country in 13 months. 
And rather than you know saying that there are other issues that are more important, Joe Biden is doing what Lincoln did, and I'm not suggesting he's Lincoln or Franklin Roosevelt, but saying, let's not kid ourselves. This is something that's big that's at yeah. stake. And most important, you young people had better vote because this is the world that you're going to have to live in. Michael Beschloss, always wise. Thank you so much for your perspective tonight. I appreciate it. Oh, thank it. you, Alex. That is our show for this evening. Now it's time for The Last Word with Lawrence O'Donnell. Good evening, Lawrence. Good evening, Alex. We have uh, Congressman Maxwell Frost uh, joining us tonight. It was hard to pick uh, a best moment in the crazy House hearing today. Uh, but my favorite uh, was the youngest member of the House of Representatives uh, teaching, in effect, the Speaker of the House how he's supposed to do his job. That, mm. that was one of the great highlights for me. Well, I am eager to hear what Maxwell Frost has to say about the debacle that unfolded on Capitol Hill. And Alex, I can only uh, pretend that uh, I was sorry not to be able to do debate analysis last night on this network because I was working here at 10 p.m. with a faithful audience who did not yes. watch the debate and yes. waited till 11 for uh, Rachel's analysis of it. Yes. Uh, but I saw enough of it to know that Nikki Haley stole her big line uh, from a dear friend of mine, Jim Downey. We're going to see later in this hour who delivered that line better. Oh, uh, Jim Downey in the original or Nikki Haley last night in the steel. Uh, we will show you both. Who wore it better? The Republican presidential those. debate edition. It's, I can't wait. It's one of those. Thank <laughs> you, Alex. Have a good show. Thank you. Well, the big surprise legal development. Way Too Early with Jonathan Lemire is coming up next. <laughs> 